It's appropriate that the sixth episode of season one of House of the Dragon feels like an entirely new season, because the first half delivered at least twice as much as most shows on television could in a full season. And with a time jump of ten years, we should expect some things to have changed, such as several of the performers, and we need a little bit of explanation to go along with that. The name of the episode is The Princess and the Queen, and they are the most prominent by far of the new actors. Rhaenyra and Alicent are no longer Millie Alcock and Emily Carey, but Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook. Also, we see new actors for Lenor and Lena and Aegon and Helena, while characters like King Viserys and Lionel Strong look notably aged, and others just look a bit different. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another of the biggest differences is the cacophony of new children introduced. During the 10-year jump, Rhaenyra gave birth to Jaceres and Lucaris, and they both have dragons. Vermax, whom we see, for Jace, and Arax, whom we do not see, for Luke. Meanwhile, Aegon's dragon, whom we also haven't seen yet, is called Sunfire. Aemond apparently is the only one of the royal boys to not have a dragon, though he has tried several times to sneak deep into the dragon pit to acquire one. He approaches the dragon Dreamfire, only to be driven away. She's not having it, and neither is Aemond's mother, who doesn't like all this danger. We learn that Lena first mounted Vagar when she was 15, and there are other examples of late-blooming dragon riders as well. Off-screen, though unmentioned so far, is another of Allison's children born during the transition, Daron, who is presumably a page to Lord Hobart Hightower, if events are similar to fire and blood. He has a dragon called Tessarion. When they taunt Aemon for being dragonless, it's unclear if his sister Helena is included in that category. She certainly isn't critterless, owning a collection of bugs, and there's a hint she's a dragon dreamer when she says Aemon won't get a dragon until he closes an eye. Meanwhile, Daemon has married Sir Laenor's sister Lena, the rider of the largest dragon in the world, Vagar. She's given birth to twin girls Bela and Reyna. Bela has a dragon already called Moondancer, though we don't see her yet either. Their ages are revealed by their mother, who says it's been eight years without Reyna's egg having hatched, and that only about half of them ever do. Bela seems to be named for Balon, Daemon and Viserys' father, while according to Fire and Blood, Reyna is named for Princess Rhaenys, Lena's mother. But Reyna was also older sister to Jaehaerys and Alysanne, and was also a queen who never was in her own right. She was married to Aegon the Uncrowned, who was usurped by Maegor the Cruel. She was sometimes called the Queen in the West. She spent most of her life detached from her family and the problems of the realm, a bit like what we see Daemon doing in this episode. Reyna rode Dreamfire, the dragon Aemond approached. And it was Reyna who started the tradition of placing dragon eggs in cradles when new Targaryens are born. We see that tradition continued in the Red Keep as Lucerys chooses a dragon egg for his new brother Joffrey. And we hear he and Jace had eggs in their cradles as well. It's this birth of Joffrey Velaryon at the beginning of the episode which connects us to the death of Joffrey Lonmouth last episode, despite the passing of 10 years. Lenor insists on the name, perhaps thinking about it because they had just walked past Kristen Cole, Joffrey's killer, on their way to show the newborn to Queen Allison. Allison takes a line directly from Fire and Blood when she tells Sir Lenor, Do keep trying. Sooner or late, you may get one who looks like you. When they leave, Rainier trails blood behind her, perhaps a nod to the intro sequence where blood flows through a number of castle hallways, connecting the members of the dynasty to each other. Allison is furious that Rhaenyra and Laenor are forcing everyone to accept an obvious lie about the parentage of their children instead of having done what was required of them. If she has to sleep with a much older man with leprosy to do her duty, why can't they swallow their discomfort to do theirs? She's fighting for her family and for what she believes is righteousness. 
She complains to Viserys about all this, but as has become rather typical for him, he sees what he wants to and demands she not speak of it again. But that won't stop her from thinking about it and acting on it. In fact, it only seems to make her more determined to exert her will. Her frustration and paranoia and inability to control the situation is in turn placed on her eldest son, Aegon, whose extremely long white blonde hair makes him look very blatantly Targaryen, unlike Jason Luke. She interrupts him doing something normal enough for a young man, but in an extremely abnormal place, but says nothing about it. While he's clearly embarrassed, she's much more worried about Rhaenyra having him executed than his troubling horniness. Does he do that while flying his dragon too? Never mind. Just definitely don't walk under his window. The intensity with which she speaks to him about how much danger he's in from Rhaenyra and her children implies this is not the first time she's tried to drive that point home for him. It seems the fear she got from her father, Otto, is in turn being passed down to her children. During the small council session, Rainier proposes that her eldest son, Jace, marry Allison's daughter, Helena. Most, especially the king, thinks it's an excellent proposal, a way to unite the two branches of House Targaryen, bringing the Hightower and Velaryon elements together. But Allison tells Viserys that this match will only happen over her dead body. The unspoken part is because that is not a Valerian child. He's a bastard. She refuses to marry her daughter to a bastard. The intervening decade has seen some changes to the small council. Viserys has Lionel's hand, though clearly that's going to change again with Tylan Lannister still master of ships and Lyman Beesbury still master of coin, though he's apparently slowing down a bit. The new master of laws is Jasper Wilde, who in Fire and Blood is nicknamed Ironrod, so maybe that's the same here too. Orwile, last seen arguing with Melos, seems to have replaced Melos, who we can presume has retired or stepped down or just passed on. Their argument had been over how to treat the king's various health problems, and it looks like Orwile might be the better healer of the two, given the king is still alive, and it really didn't look like he'd last another 10 years, so he might get the credit for that. Maybe they should have started listening to him earlier. In a callback to Otto's firing, which came about because Viserys believed him compromised, Lord Strong attempts to resign for a very similar reason, but he can't fully express the reasons for why he should quit. If he were to come out and say, I can't be hand anymore because your daughter's children are my son's bastards. It might go differently, but that would be a good way to get his son killed and those children disinherited or worse. Allison tries to get him to say just that because it's what she's after, most of all, that the truth of Rhaenyra's children is exposed in a manner that he can't deny. The king's level of denial is so intense that only a blunt admission might stand a chance. But Lionel is understandably more circumspect than that, so the king says, well, if you can't explain your reasons for leaving, you can't leave. Lionel therefore backs down, but at least requests that his son be removed from court. He does this to tamp down the talk of parentage, but tells the king it's because his son really should be learning how to be a lord, since he's going to rule Harrenhal one day. It's a reasonable excuse, but tragically he decides to go with his son, presumably to have some private time to discuss their mutual predicament going forward regarding Rhaenyra's children, but they are betrayed most shockingly. The realm still doesn't have an official Master of Whisperers, but Larry Strong has been operating in that capacity for the Queen. They've become familiar enough that he's allowed in her room when she's not there, and it seems they just share meals regularly. One of the themes of this episode is that old saying, be careful what you wish for. Alicent reminds Sir Kristen that she wants honor and justice to win out. He takes this a bit aggressively and immediately goads Sir Harwin into standing up seemingly outing himself as the father of Jason Luke right in front of the king and Harwin's own father, the Hand. This is, of course, why Lionel tried to resign. 
Allison is wary of Lionel's hand because from her perspective, he's going to be biased towards his secret grandchildren. She wishes it was her own father back in his hand instead because he'd be biased too, but towards her and, and his grandchildren. This all seems to be inspired by a famous incident in British history. As you may have already heard, the anarchy was the civil war that inspired George R. R. Martin to write The Dance of the Dragons. Not long after the anarchy ended, King Henry II was crowned. He was the son of one of the two original two claimants in the war, the Empress Matilda. During Henry's reign, he famously had a falling out with Archbishop Thomas Becket, who, whom he himself appointed to that position. He thought he was placing an ally in a position of power, someone who would side with him on important matters of state. But in line with this episode's theme of being careful what you wish for, Becket not only didn't fall in line with the king's wishes, he openly acted against them on several occasions. Their relationship became so troubled that one day Henry famously, or infamously, uttered the phrase, Will no one rid me of this turbulent priest? Four of his knights took this quite literally, traveled to Canterbury, and killed Becket without any attempted subterfuge. They just did it, right out in the open. This is very similar to the result for Alicent, who idly said she'd rather have her father back as king and didn't know it would result in murder. It's pretty clear to the audience that Alicent wasn't asking him to kill his own father. But that is exactly what he does, with far more subterfuge than King Henry's knights. Still, Lord Lionel was thus stung by the same saying. He wished for the king to allow him to escort his son home and was killed while there. Well, careful what you wish for. When Alicent finds out what Lars has done, killing not only his own father but his brother, she is visibly shaken. Alicent has perhaps changed more so than any other character over the 10-year gap. She makes no friends in the audience by demanding the baby be brought to her moments after birth, for example. But she hasn't become some murderer, some abject killer. She hasn't changed that much. But Larius has somewhat ensnared her here. He's kind of made her complicit. He pointedly ignores her obvious disapproval and discomfort, just smiling and saying he expects a reward eventually. She's also expressed to him repeatedly that she's short of allies. And despite how villainous he's just shown himself to be, She's going to need him, and he knows that. He's also just claimed his own reward in the process. In the meantime, he's now Lord of Harrenhal. As well, when she told Kristen she wanted honor and justice to win out, well, look what happened. She just accidentally attached herself to perhaps the least honorable, least just man we've seen so far in Laurie's. His speech on the futility of having children is chilling. It's also quite poetic. This is a man of extremely high intelligence and an extreme lack of scruples. Perhaps Larry should be careful what he wishes for, too. Only a few people know what he's done, but the gods know he's a kinslayer, and we know what tends to befall the lords of Harrenhal. He himself pointed out the curse that is said to afflict the place, a curse he believes will help mask what he did. In a change from the frequent ambiguity of both House of the Dragon and Fire and Blood, we see not just the result, but the method in which Larys kills his brother and father. He recruits vicious criminals from what appears to be the Black Cells to carry out the murders, but to ensure their silence, he first removes their tongues. Varus had his little birds. Larys has his large bugs, I guess, on his cane. There's a firefly engraved, which we also see pinned to the cloaks of his agents. The fireflies went on to start the fires, so that fits, I guess. <laughs> Since Laris grew up in Harrenhal, he presumably gave them instructions on how to carry out the plan without getting caught or to use secret passages or something like that. And we can infer that Laris got close to Allison over the years, apparently, slowly and surely earning her trust. That he's grown on her is reflected by the presence of that same Bravosi plan he turned her onto in the last episode. It's all over her chambers now. Kind of a sign of how much he's infiltrated her trust. 
through him, Allison has the power to do what she should not. But will she be able to resist it now that the door has been opened? But in all these efforts to protect her children, she may have put them in greater danger. If she wasn't so hung up on the parentage of Rhaenyra's children, she might be willing to compromise on the matter of that marriage. If, as suggested, Helena were to marry Jaceres and have children, Rhaenyra would not have the incentive to murder Allison's other children that Otto claimed she would have. But she is unwilling to compromise, and the incident in the training yard led to both the sundering of the family and her becoming compromised by Larry's. The king was happy to see the boys training together. It made him believe that they'd grow up as friends as well as brothers, but Rhaenyra's decision to move back to Dragonstone with her household seemingly kills Viserys' wish that his sons will grow up together. And the trigger for this move was Sir Criston goading Harwin, because Criston thought the queen wanted that. But she didn't want Harwin gone. She wanted him outed. And while that kind of happened, well, it wasn't enough. And now his death makes the truth way less likely to ever come out. Lenor points out the danger in Rhaenyra leaving the Red Keep when she says she wants to go. Keeping a distance from court means keeping a distance from allies, from having a say in council, from having influence over the king. But she says it's worse to stay than go. Whether she's right or not, well, we'll see. But she does tell Lenor he can bring his new lover, Sir Carl, a veteran of the newer Stepstones Wars, with him. Their departure gives a clue to how things might proceed from here on out. The Red Keep learns of the fire at Harrenhal before the news reaches Dragonstone, which makes sense given that Dragonstone is much farther from Harrenhal than the Red Keep. Rhaenyra arrives there with her family, but we don't have a scene of them hearing about the fire, which is perhaps a mercy for us as an audience. We don't have to see Jace, who seemingly knows who his real father is. We don't have to see him react to hearing about his father. The same goes for his younger brother, certainly his mother. This foreshadows them hearing about other major news later than everyone else as well. For the most part, news of events around Westeros are going to get to the Red Keep before Dragonstone. On the other hand, news from the East will often reach Dragonstone before the Red Keep. For example, Pentos is closer to Dragonstone than almost any other location in Westeros. So they, for example, will hear about Lena before most anyone else, we can guess. As well as other news from the Narrow Sea region, like what's going on in the Stepstones. Pentos has a deep interest in what's going on with the Triarchy, which figures to become important again, given that both the Prince of Pentos and the Small Council talk about him. Pentos is near the three cities that make up the Triarchy and aren't on great terms with them, so we can see... The Prince of Pentos's motivation for wanting to keep Damon and his family and their dragons around, because Damon is already probably the biggest enemy of the Triarchy there is. And we must also consider that news will travel to Pentos as well from it. So surely news will reach Prince Damon that the father of Rhaenyra's sons has died. He just so happens to have two daughters very close in age to two of those sons, and they both just lost the loves of their life. He and Lena also almost had another child who would have been the same age as the just-born Sir Joffrey, but of course we saw Lena's tragic death with a bit of mirroring to Harwin's and more so to Queen Emma, whom again we see Viserys mourning. Damon is offered the same decision Melos offers Viserys. Try to cut the child out of the mother. We may never know what he would have chosen or if he would have chosen at all. In stark contrast to the death of Queen Emma, who was given no choice at all, who was held down and not informed of what they were about to do, Lena takes matters into her own hands choosing self-immolation by her own dragon instead of death by childbirth. A death worthy of a dragon rider, which is what she wanted. Kind of another example of be careful what you wish for. I don't think she wanted it quite so soon there. It's also a bit of a parallel to the deaths of the Strongs. While they burned in the West, she burned in the East. She had wanted Damon to live a life worthy of his station, but he claims to be content in Pentos. She's not fooled, and I don't think we are either. She notes how he spends a lot of time reading about his famous ancestors and knows he won't be content living the quiet life in Pentos forever. 
We're seeing so many more Dragon Riders coming of age or close to that. How will this new generation fare amidst the old? A few other miscellaneous topics of note. We're told a giant of a man who wears women's clothing and has a purple beard and is now a prominent presence in the Stepstones. That would be Rikalio Rendoon. Also, Corin Martell is name-checked. He's the Prince of Sunspear, and he's joined with the Triarchy, so they have Dorne as an ally. That's a pretty big deal. The never-ending Blackwood-Bracken feud that was rekindled a few episodes ago has started to become a problem again. Rhaenyra thinks the Crown should step in, but Allison and others think it should be handled by Lord Grover Tully, given he's in charge of that region. We see inside the Dragon Pit and watch the princes and dragon keepers at work there, but now half of them will be raising their dragons at Dragonstone instead. And that might be... different. It was a treat to see the Pentashi library filled with lore, and Vagar's majesty did not disappoint. Can you imagine her in a fight? In addition to the largest dragon, we also see the smallest we've seen so far, Vermax, though there are others we just haven't seen yet. Not to mention the Pink Dread, or the Pig Dread, if you prefer. This might be a nod to Joffrey Baratheon Lannister wanting Tyrion to ride the pig at his wedding, but hasn't happened yet. Join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a much more in-depth review of each episode, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Dunkin' Egg, and everything else Westeros, Essos, and beyond, past, present, and future.